0: This morning, as we prepare for our time together today, I want to ask you a very specific question. We have just sang out loud praises to the Lord. We've just sang aloud, God is able. But my question for you is very simple. And that is this. Do you really believe it? Do you really believe that God is able? Because on a Sunday like today, when we're all gathered here together in this place and the band is playing and Kyle's leading, like it's easy in a moment like this to say, yes, God is able. It's easy in the back of our mind, in our hearts, and even from various experiences to say, you know what? I've seen this before. I've experienced this before. Yes, God is able. But I wonder this morning, when the rubber meets the road, and when hardships and circumstances and difficulties come, do you still believe then that God is able? When you get the news on the phone that is not good and your world is shattered, do you still believe that God is able? Do you ever in the process of the context of limitations and hindrances, things that feel like impossible to you, do you still know then that God is able? I want to ask you if you have your Bibles this morning to open them with me and turn to Ephesians chapter 3 for our time together here this morning. As we open God's Word today, we are beginning to go into a series of sermons for the next few months that we will be looking right back at Hebrews chapter 11, and we're going to focus again on the greater things that we believe God does as we live by faith. In fact, about a year ago this time, we studied through Hebrews chapter 11, and we studied that great hall of faith where we studied illustrations and examples of men and women, people just like you and me who were imperfect, and yet they honored God by their faith, and God did incredible things as he worked in them and through them for his glory. Well, today we're beginning a series as we go back to Hebrews chapter 11, because there were several illustrations from Hebrews 11 that we put on hold a year ago that we're going to look back to in the coming weeks. But before we do, I believe there's a message from God's word in Ephesians chapter three that he wants us to hear today. And and can I just say to you very bluntly and very honestly, this is a message from God's word that God wanted me to hear this week. The truth of the matter is, is that at the beginning of this year, I had prepared a message that God had laid on on my heart from Ephesians chapter three, from the same passage and verses that we're gonna read together here today. And then as God would have it that week, It was the very beginning of the year. It snowed like crazy. And for the first time in three years at Link since I've been here, we had to cancel the services that morning. We literally couldn't get into the parking lot, couldn't get here. And so this message was kind of put on hold, if you will. In fact, the pastors had asked me, well, are you going to preach it next week? And I said, no, God's already given me clarity for where we're supposed to be next week. So we put it on hold. And so God would fast forward things all the way to October of this year, when the Lord would put this pastor scripture and this message back on my heart, and frankly, I would begin to go back through the scripture and go back through the message that was prepared almost 10 months ago, and in doing so, I frankly don't know if God has anything in store for anyone else, but I can just tell you this. This week, it was exactly the message that I needed to hear. Let me ask you a question this morning. Have you ever been at a place in your life where you felt completely overwhelmed? Have you ever been at a place in your life where you felt like you were at a dead-end road and you didn't know what to do? Have you ever been in a place where you were so burdened and maybe so grieved, you've looked at a situation that seemed so impossible that literally you knew what to do, you knew that you were supposed to turn to God, so you turned to God and you went to pray, but when you went to pray, nothing came out. You literally didn't know what to pray. You didn't know what to say. And and as you pondered in your mind what you should say, there was nothing that just seemed right and nothing that could just fully describe the moment and the the weight and the burden and how you felt in that moment. You didn't even know what you wanted God to do. It was such a confusing, overwhelming, impossible situation. Can I just say to you, just being very honest with you, I was there about a week ago. I was there not because of anything ministry related, but in my personal life, in my family, dealing with something with my family in Alabama, I just got to the place where I honestly didn't know what to pray. I knew to look to God. I knew to talk to God. I knew to rely upon God. But what do I even say? God, God, where do I begin? It was this overwhelming, like impossible feeling. But can I remind us this morning that when we are in places of impossibility, God still has all power and all authority to work and move for his glory and for his purposes. It doesn't matter what your limitations are, what your hindrances are. The truth of the matter is God is able. And we see that in Ephesians chapter 3. There are many times in our life we face circumstances and we face difficulties. And sometimes we try to console ourselves with worldly theology. For example, we will say, well, don't you know, God never puts more on you than you can bear. Anybody ever heard that before? Anybody ever heard a pastor preach that before? Listen, the bottom line is, that's not what the Bible says. In fact, God will put more upon us than we can bear. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, the apostle Paul was describing his adversities and his difficulties. And he said, listen, "Listen, it is so overwhelming that we despaired even of life. In other words, we couldn't go on. We didn't have the strength within us. There was nothing we could do. We were completely limited. It was an impossible situation. But then he tells us why in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. He says, so that the power would be of God who raised Jesus from the dead. In other words, the apostle Paul is saying, God brought us to an end of ourself where we knew we didn't have strength, we knew we didn't have power, we knew we couldn't do it on our own, but God did that so that he would work his power in us and through us in such a way that it would be clear it was all about him. I'm going to be honest with you, I don't like getting to moments like that. I don't like getting to those moments where God puts more on us than we can bear. But can I say, to God be the glory, I'm thankful that he does. Because in them, he molds us and he shapes us because he's forcing us to rely upon him and to depend upon him. And in our weakness, guess what? He is strong. So this morning, as we look to Ephesians chapter 3, I want to preach to you on the subject, God is able. There are many of us here this morning in our individual lives who need to be reminded that God is able. But I believe as a church, Crosslink Community Church, God has brought us to this day, to this hour, to this season of life and ministry to call us to remember that he is able. At the end of last year, here just a few months ago as we celebrated 10 years of ministry and then look forward to what God is going to do in the future, I challenged us to believe God in five major areas of ministry as we move forward into the next season. Can I just say to you, God has been so good to us in the past 10 years, amen? But I believe what God is calling us to is where a place where he wants to do far greater things in us and through us than we even imagine in the moment. But we challenge you in five specific areas that we believe that God is calling us to move forward in this next season of ministry. The first is in the area of missions. Specifically, in the coming year, we believe that God is opening up opportunities for us to begin a Bible conference for the purpose of equipping and training pastors in the nation of the Ukraine. We believe that through that, God is going to plant many churches in an area of the Ukraine where there is significant need. Not only that, but we are believing God ultimately that we'll also be able to adopt a village in Nicaragua for the purpose of long-term intentional investment and in ministry. But not only do we challenge you in the way of missions, we challenge you in the way of church planting. Did you know that right here in the Shenandoah Valley, there are numerous communities within about a slingshot's distance, about 25, 30 miles, even up to 45 and beyond, that do not have a dynamic gospel-centered church? In fact, as you know, as we gather here right now and worship the Lord on Sunday, every Sunday we have people driving 30 miles, 35 miles, 45 miles, 60 miles, some driving now from West Virginia to be here with us on Sunday mornings to worship the Lord. And we welcome you. I'm so thankful that God's called you here and that you're a part of what God is doing. But can I say to you, one of the reasons that's happening is because there are communities all over this valley that are in need of a dynamic gospel-centered church. And we are called to take the gospel throughout the valley and then ultimately to the ends of the earth. I challenged you a few weeks ago for us to really praise the Lord, but seek the Lord about what God is doing in this community. We have great partnerships with ministries like AvaCare and Salvation Army and FCA and crew, but the reality is, is there is far more that God is wanting to do right here in this community. Our challenge is to believe God as we think about community groups, places for believers to engage together for the purpose of discipleship and fellowship, for support and encouragement in our walk with the Lord. And we believe as we move forward, God is going to be strengthening that ministry, hoping to start seven new groups by the month of January. But we also challenge you to consider what God would have us do here at Crosslink in the areas of our facilities expansion and development. Did you know, as you, look, as you look at our ministry here and look at the facilities, everything about our facilities is completely strained. Did you know there's not a single room in this building that is not a multipurpose room, including my office? <laughs> Seriously, every room here has multiple purposes and has setups and teardowns and is used for all sorts of things because our facilities are greatly strained. As we meet here, amen child, as we meet here, our children's ministry, God is blessing. Did you know every Sunday we minister by average to about 145 to 150 different children? In a given month, we will minister to over 400 different children. That's happening right now, right here at Cross Lane. Not only that, but our student ministry, God is blessing it and God's growing it. But our student ministry does not have a single space that's designated just for their own. Every room is a multipurpose room. So, Pastor, what are you saying? I'm saying God is blessing, God is working, and God is moving. And with that are incredible opportunities, but with it, there are also incredible needs. We also have needs for parking. Can I get a witness for that? Amen. I mean, some of you, the best faith-building exercise you do to learn self-control is just to drive to church on Sunday morning, right, Is you find a parking space. So, Pastor, what are you saying? I'm saying that even in the midst of the ministry, there are some of us that get excited about that. We hear those things, we see those things, and we're like, man, this is awesome. God's working. God's moving. And there's some of us that look with overwhelming feelings. Oh, my goodness, what are we going to do? How are we going to do this? How are we going to expand facilities? Or how are we going to plant these churches? How are we going to accomplish these missions? How can these things be done? I've got bad news, and I've got good news. Here's the bad news. We can't do it. We can't. The bad news is, is that we can't do it on our own. The bad news is, is that we can't make a dent to the needs of Nicaragua on our own. The bad news is we can't equip pastors in the Ukraine and plant churches all throughout a region that's greatly needed need of the gospel. We can't plant churches in the Shenandoah Valley. We can't expand. We can't do it on our own. But that is precisely the point. While we can't do it on our own, we know the one who can, and he is able So this morning, I don't know what you feel our limitations are as a church, and I don't know what limitations you face in your own life. I don't know where you feel overwhelmed, but I'm telling you this. I do know the one who is able. And if you don't, you can, and if you do, I pray that we'll grow in him today. Ephesians chapter 3, I want to ask you to stand to your feet for the reading of God's word. Focus in on two primary verses at the end of the text. The Bible says this. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his Spirit, where? In the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to all the fullness of God. I want us to really focus in on the next two verses. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever, amen. Listen to those last two verses again. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you for your word that speaks so clearly. I pray, God, today that we would receive it. Father, give us eyes to see what you're doing. Give us ears to hear what you're doing. Give us a heart to respond with absolute faith and surrender to you. God, I pray today that no matter where we feel overwhelmed, no matter where we see the impossible situations, God, may we look through eyes of faith and walk by faith and not by sight. May we trust you who are able to do far beyond all that we could ask or think. We'll pray that and give you the glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated this morning. You know The reality is this morning, I believe that God is calling us as individuals and as a church to look to him. We must look to God. But there's a challenge with that, and part of that challenge is very simple, and that is that we don't physically see God with our eyes. Now, we see the evidences of God all around us. We see his creation. We, we certainly see one another, but the fact of the matter is we don't see him with our eyes. What we do see are obstacles, we do see the things that are the here and now. We see the challenges that stand before us. We see the difficulties and the barriers. And what God is calling us to do, as we'll see in the coming weeks, is that God is calling us to live by faith. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says it this way, For we walk by faith, not by sight. I'm reminded of the illustration of David in the Old Testament. You remember the story when David was called to go take care of his brothers and he approached the Israelite army and he found that the Israelite army was being mocked and taunted by a mighty giant named Goliath. In fact, he was taunting the army, but he was also taunting even the God of Israel. And the Bible says that David came and of course, eventually the time came as he exemplified great courage and great faith and great confidence. Remember, all the Israelite army was cowering away in fear. They looked at that giant and they saw that he was too big. And so as he mocked them and as they ridiculed them, they thought it was impossible. We can never defeat that giant. We can't overcome this giant. We can't possibly stand up against him. David, of course went to that brook, he grabbed some smooth stones, he went and stood before that giant, and he looked at that giant and he said, you come to me with a spear and a sword, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, and on this day, God will give me you. What David was saying in that moment was this, it's not that he didn't see the size of the giant, what mattered in that moment is this, David wasn't looking only at the giant, he was looking at the size and the greatness of God. Many of us in our life, we get so caught up with the size of the giants. We're walking by sight. We see the obstacles and we see the difficulties and we rationalize in our logic. We can't do it. We can't overcome it. We can't have victory here. We can't move forward. And ultimately, we're walking by sight and not by faith. David instead took his eyes off of that giant for a moment, fixed his focus on God himself, and he realized that giant was nothing in comparison to the greatness of his God. And so in faith and in confidence, as he focused on God, God gave him victory in that moment. He said specifically, the battle is the Lord's. I don't know about you this morning. I don't know about the challenges that you face. I don't know about the circumstances you face. I don't know about the calling that God may place on your life that may at times feel like a burden, but I'm here to tell you, God is able. All of us know we go through circumstances and hardships that sometimes cause burdens and we feel like it's impossible, but we need to be reminded God is able. Maybe a surprise to some to find that even in the Christian walk, the Christian life, there are times that God calls us to do something, frankly, that's uncomfortable. In fact, most of the time he does call us to do something. It's uncomfortable. It demands sacrifice. It demands, hello, faith. And we get in those moments that we feel like, I can't do it. God, this is too much. This is too much to ask. God, this is such a heavy burden. But I'm here to tell you, God is able. Now, when Paul penned these words in Ephesians chapter 3, Paul is saying just that. He is saying God is able. Now, it would be easy for us to assume that for Paul to say God is able, he must be at a mountaintop experience of his life, right? Because it's easy to say God is able when everything's going great. I mean, when your team wins the game, when you get the job promotion, when your wildest dreams have come true, sure, it's easy to say, absolutely, God is able. But what about when you're in the valley? What about when you're facing the uncertainties and the unknowns? When the Apostle Paul penned these words, the Apostle Paul was in a Roman prison. He didn't know how this was going to end. He didn't know if he was going to have freedom, if he was ever going to get out. He didn't know what his life was going to look like moving forward or if he was even going to survive it all. And yet in the midst of it all, he begins to write, even in the circumstance in the valley, to say, listen, I want you to know we're not called to walk by sight. We're called to walk by faith and to put our attention on the one who is able. Now, the book of Ephesians is an incredible book of the Bible. Every one of them are, but Ephesians is one of my favorite. Ephesians chapter one through three describes our life in Christ. This is who we are. If you know Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, I wanna challenge you, go read Ephesians 1 through 3 this week because it is a rich theology lesson on who we are in Christ. Powerful. Ephesians chapter 4 through 6 then tells us how we live this out. How do you live your life in Christ? What does this look like every day in your life? But the hinge, so to speak, the key between who we are in Christ and how we live for Christ is found here in this text in Ephesians 3 verses 20 through 21 with the reminder that God is able. I want you to make with me this morning four observations from Ephesians 3. Number one, I want you to consider the power of the Lord. The power of the Lord. Sometimes we need to be reminded of the power of the Lord. You said, Pastor, don't you know about the power of the Lord? The answer is, yes, I do. He said, Pastor, haven't you experienced the power of the Lord in your life by God's grace and for his glory? Yes, I have. But can I just say to you, I'm as every bit as human as you are. When life gets hard, I still need to be reminded of the power of the Lord. When the, when the news on the other end of the phone that is coming through to me, when I get that news that rattles me, I need to be reminded of the power of the Lord. There are times in our everyday life as we go through circumstances and trials and difficulties, we know that the power of the Lord exists. We know it in our head. And we can even remember at times when God has worked mightily in our hearts and our lives. But sometimes when, the, when times get tough and when the, when the news comes it's difficult, sometimes when we get in those situations that are so overwhelming and so burdensome, we know that God is able, but we doubt it in the moment. It's like we can't get our eyes above the forest to recognize the greatness of God. We need to be reminded of the power of the Lord. Jesus said it this way in Matthew chapter 28, verse 18. He said, literally, all authority, all power has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And yet we don't always live that way, do we? In fact, I to challenge you, do you live your daily life like Jesus literally has all power? Maybe another question would be, do we pray like God really has all power? The Bible makes it clear there is absolutely nothing that God cannot do. He has all power. In fact, so we see understand, understand in Ephesians chapter 3, not only do we see his power, I want you to consider for a moment, practically verse 20, God's ability. What is God able to do? The scripture says, Now to him who is able to do. In other words, God's just saying very, very practically that his power is manifested, his power is revealed in the fact that he has the ability to do anything. Now, I don't know about you this morning, but I need to be reminded of that sometimes. Don't you? In fact, I would encourage you, not only do we need to be reminded of that, we need to tell it to ourselves, we need to tell it to others as a reminder of who God is. In fact, I would challenge you, turn to your neighbor for just a moment, and would you just say, God is able? God is able. There's nothing he can't do. That situation that overwhelms you, that burden that causes you so much pain and hurt, uh, the the, the limitations that you feel, there's nothing God cannot do. I'm reminded of the illustration years ago of a little boy who was flying across the country to visit his grandparents. His mother had gotten him into the airport and gotten him to the gate, and she got into the airplane, and the stewardess took him to his seat. And so he sat down, the little boy did, and, and he began to pull out something from his backpack, and he began to read. A few minutes later, here came an older gentleman who sat beside him. It happened to be a wise old pastor. And so he sat down, and he quickly noticed that the little boy was reading. And as he noticed the little boy reading, he was kind of looking over his shoulder to see what he was reading. And there was a Bible verse that stood out to him. And then he noticed the heading that said, The Power of God. And so the wise old pastor thought he would kind of tease the little boy a little bit. He reached into his pocket, and he found a piece of candy. And he said, Son, I'll tell you what. If you can tell me something that God can do, I'll give you this piece of candy. The little boy thought about it with his mind and was very wise. And the little boy broke the silence. He pulled up his backpack and he opened it up. He pulled out a whole pack of candy. And he said, I'll tell you what, mister. If you tell me something God can't do, I'll give you the whole bag of candy. <laughs> you know what the little boy knew? knew he knew that with God, all things are possible. This was the question that Mary asked the angel all the way back in Luke chapter one, as the angel revealed God's plan and what God was going to do. She said, how can this be? I'm a virgin. And yet the Bible says the angel looked back at her and said these simple words for nothing will be impossible with God. I want you to know this morning, there is nothing in heaven or on earth that God is not able to do. So we must get our eyes off of ourselves and our abilities and our challenges and our, Hurts and our impossibilities and instead get them on the ability of God. In the Old Testament, we're reminded in Exodus chapter 3 of a man by the name of Moses. He was a man that God had a unique plan and purpose for. I would encourage you this week to go read Exodus 3 and 4 and then talk about it in your community groups because what you'll find in Exodus chapter 3 and chapter 4 is God looking at Moses and he's saying, Moses, I've called you. Moses, I've got a plan for you. Moses, I'm going to do something in and through your life. Moses, I'm going to do something great that brings glory to my name. Moses, this is what I'm going to do. And five different times in Exodus chapter 3 and chapter 4, we see Moses saying, But God, but God, I can't. But, but God, how are they going to believe me? But God, how are they going to accept me? But God, how can I? I don't have the ability. In fact, it comes to a climactic moment in Exodus chapter 4, verses 10 through 13. Listen to the words. The Bible says, Moses said to the Lord, Please, Lord, I have never been eloquent, neither recently nor in time past, nor since you've spoken to your servant, for I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. Sounds like a good excuse, doesn't it? Listen to what God said in verse 11. The Lord said to him, Moses, who has made man's mouth? Or who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now then go, and I, even I, will be with your mouth and teach you what you are to say. But he said, please, Lord, now send the message by whomever you will. You see, in that passage scripture, what's happening in this moment is Moses is looking at God. He knows that God is able. And yet in this moment, he's saying, God, how can this happen? I can't do it. God, look at my limitations. I got nothing to bring. God, aren't you aware of my, my physical flaw? God, aren't you aware of my past? God, aren't you aware of the fact that people don't want to listen to me because of my stuttering? God, don't you know? And what does God say? Moses, don't you know that I'm the one that made you? Don't you know that I'm the one that gave you a mouth, gave you the words to say? Don't you know, Moses, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to guide you. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to work through you. Why? Because God's ability is greater than any of us can imagine. We see God's ability. Secondly, we see God's abundance. Let me ask you a question this morning. What is going on in your life that's causing you to fear and doubt God? What is going on in your life that's causing you to feel overwhelmed and causing you to feel like you don't have the ability, that your limitations are just too great to hinder God? I want you to consider for a moment not only God's ability, but what I'm going to say is God's abundance, his abundant ability. Ephesians chapter 3 simply says it this way, Now to him who is able to do, listen to these words, far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think. Now, we read those words in the English, and we just kind of take them for what they are. We don't realize what's really going on in this statement. Paul here does something in Ephesians 3 verse 20 that he doesn't do anywhere else in the New Testament. As Paul is considering a word to describe the greatness of God's power, the riches, the abundance of his ability, literally Paul cannot think of a single word to summarize it. That's where he's at. In fact, if we were reading this in the Greek, it would almost be humorous the way that he's using word upon word upon word, three specific words for emphasis to show us how amazing God is in his power. Now let me illustrate that practically today. Let's suppose there's a young couple that are dating, young man, young lady, and they're dating. And, and he is trying to convey to her how pretty she, he thinks she is, how pretty she finds, he finds her. He would maybe say to her, you look so pretty today. Now that sounds old school, but that's probably the way I would say it. Okay, you look so pretty today, or you're so pretty to me. But if a guy was really just wanting to go to the extent to explain how beautiful this young lady is, according to, according to Paul's illustration, here's what he would say. He would say, "You are so beautifully beautiful in your extravagant beauty." You get the illustration here, like, like this guy's laying it on thick. That's what we're saying here. Okay, like. Wife, if, wives, if your husband says it to you that way, probably just be like, hey, speak, tell, tell me what you really mean, right? <laughs> what Paul is saying is, basically, God, you are so awesomely awesome in your awesomeness. That's the 2019 version, okay? What but Paul is saying is, God, you are so able, abundantly able, beyond able, more than I could ever even ask or think able. God, before I could even come up with a final word to describe it, you are so powerful, That's how abundant you are in your power. There's nothing you can't do. That's why David said in Psalm 95 verse 3 that the Lord is a great God. He is a great king above all gods. But the mystery of it all is not God's power. It's that in his power, he's working for his glory and for our good. That's why David would also say in Psalm 121, verse 2, I will lift up my eyes to the mountains. From where shall my help come from? What does he say? He says, my help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. The same God who made the heavens and the earth is willing in his power to work in and for you. What a profound thought. We see the power of the Lord. But secondly, I want you to consider something else. It's one thing for us to acknowledge the power of the Lord, But that power then brings us to the prompting of the Lord. It's the prompting of the Lord. It's something that God is implying, God is suggesting, he is inviting us to do. We see it here in verse 20. What is it that God is abundantly able to do? He's able to do all that we ask or even think. That is a simple truth of God's ability. God's able to do anything beyond what we could ask or even as far as we could think or imagine or dream. God's able to do far more than that. However, This truth presents two very clear and practical implications. They are promptings of God. What are they? Number one, knowing that God is able to do all that we could ask or think, here's the first prompting. Ask for him to work. God is able to do far more than what we could ask, but he still invites us and still calls us to ask of him. Now, I am in the process of that, I feel like I'm constantly trying to teach this to my children. Sometimes my children will say something that's kind of passively spoken, or they will say something suggestively, but I'm trying to get them to the place where they have such a relationship with me, they just ask. For example, I can pick up my children from a sports practice and they'll get into the vehicle and they'll say, Oh, I'm so thirsty, I'm dying of thirst. And I'm like, did you have a water bottle? Yeah. Was there a cooler on the soccer field or the volleyball court? Yeah. Okay. But a sweet tea from McDonald's would be so amazing right now. (laughs) And I'm looking at them like, you're going to die of thirst because we also got sweet tea at home. We'll get there in 20 minutes, you know, like. (laughs) Services will end on Sunday. We'll go to leave. Oh, you know, that restaurant just sounds heavenly right now. And I'll look and say, are you paying the bill, you know, or whatever. They're suggesting, they're implying things. And so often I will look at them and I will say, just ask. What's on your heart? What's on your mind? Just, just look at me and, and just ask. And does that mean I give them everything they ask for? No. Does that mean that everything they ask for is best for our family? No. Does that mean that everything they ask for is not asked for myself? No. But here's the reality. The reality is I want them to base on the relationship to get used to coming to me because they love me and aren't afraid to ask. Did you know that God is looking at us as His children, for those who know Jesus Christ, their Lord and Savior? and He not only invites us to come and ask, He pleads for us to come and ask. He tells us we are come to cast all of our cares upon Him, because He cares for us. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew chapter seven, verses seven through eight. He said, "Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find." knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds and to him who knocks it will be opened. If you then, listen to the statement, being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? Does that mean that God gives you everything you ask for? No, no. Does that mean that when we ask something of God that we understand all the implications and how that affects everyone? No, but we can trust that God is good and he is gracious and he delights in our asking. He delights in our relationship with him and he delights in many times in blessing. I reminded the illustration from many years ago of Billy Graham. Billy Graham once described a dream that he had. In fact, he talked about it so uh, attentively and, and, and detailed wise because he said, you know, I don't normally have a lot of dreams and don't remember a lot of my dreams that I do have. But this one specific dream, he said he dreamed that that there he was walking down a road and suddenly as he walked down the road, there was a like a heavenly messenger, like an angel or something. And and the angel kind of directed him off the path to, to a large building. And Billy Graham tells us, he's explaining the story about the dream, that he walked towards a building and suddenly the door opened wide and he walked into the building. And, and as he looked as far as the eye could see, as wide as the eye could see, as high as the eye could see, he saw gifts stacked upon gifts, upon gifts, all over this. He said it was like an arena full of gifts. Billy Graham, in his confusion in the dream, asked the question, Well, what are these gifts? What do they mean? To which the angel or the messenger said, Oh, Billy, these are all the gifts that God intended for his children, but they failed to ask. Failed to ask. Let me ask you a question this morning. What is it that you're asking God for? How is it that you're asking in your prayer is demonstrating faith? Much of the fruitlessness in our lives today is simply because we are not intentional and faithful to ask of God. So what are you asking God for? Who are you praying for that they'll come to know Christ as our Lord and Savior? How are you praying that God would work in you and through you in ways that you never even dreamed possible? God has made a way personally for us to come to him, but he's also personally invited us to come and ask anything of him. But there's a second prompting, isn't there? Not only should we ask, we should secondly think of how God can work. Notice what the scripture says. He says, God is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think. So while we should ask God for what he will do, we should also think about what God can do. And please understand, I am not saying or suggesting that everything you think about, that God is somehow uh, destined that he has to do. He require, He required to do everything that you think about. However, God has given us a mind for Creativity. God has given us a mind with a vivid imagination. And I believe that God can use those things as we think about Him and think about His plans and think about His purposes and His callings, and He can use that to give us thoughts and ideas and directions for what He's calling us to do. Jeremiah chapter 33 verses two through three reminds us of the importance of seeking God's will and thinking upon what He's doing and how He will speak. Because here's what God said to Jeremiah. He says, thus says the Lord who made the earth, the Lord who formed it to establish it, the Lord is his name. Call to me and I will answer you and I will tell you great and mighty things which you do not know. It's amazing what happens when you ask for God to work, but then also you begin to think about how he can work. I have sometimes been asked about Dr. Falwell and Liberty University. Many of you know that I was a student at Liberty uh, many years ago, more years ago than I care to admit at this point. But I loved my time at Liberty, and in my last few years at Liberty, uh, God had me in a position of ministry there where I got to have a lot of personal encounters with Dr. Falwell. I loved it, and very much am thankful for those uh, brief conversations and moments uh, of ministering uh, together. But people have often asked, what was it that stood out to you most about Dr. Falwell? What do you remember most about his life and his ministry? And to be honest with you, I would say to you that the thing that stood out to me most were the two promptings that we've talked about here, and that is the way that he asked things of God and the way that he thought about the things of God. Specifically, when I say that, I am meaning specifically that he dreamed great things for God and he asked great things of God. When it came to prayer, Dr. Falwell didn't ask God for meager prayers that he could easily fulfill and accomplish himself. He asked God for profound things. But not only that, he dreamed about things that seemed impossible. I remember on more than one occasion being a student at Liberty and him speaking to the entire student body, to the entire faculty and staff, and he would share, this is our vision. This is our dream. This is where we're going. This is what we're going to do. And I remember more than a few times sitting there thinking, that's impossible. I remember the number of students that he was praying that God would give and the way that he was praying for God to do certain things. And I remember sitting back sometimes and being the skeptic and being the critical person, sitting back thinking, that's crazy. Not going to happen. Do you know as God is my witness? Dr. Fall has been in heaven for a long time now. But do you know, as far as I can retell, everything he ever stated as a vision and a dream and a prayer, God has today brought to fruition. In fact, some of them, God has doubled what he was saying at that time. So, Pastor, what are you saying? I am saying this morning, very, very specifically, that we must keep our attention on the greatness of God and not on the size of the giants. Don't limit God with a meager faith or with a half-hearted prayer. Instead, ask great things of God and dream great things for God. Dr. Fall did, and God honored that. Can I say to us this morning, Crosslink, only God knows What he can do through the plans and the dreams that he gives us as we think upon him and ask great things of him. So, uh, Pastor, what's the the vision of the church? What's the plan of the church? What's the church going to do in the next five years? Here's the answer to that question. The answer to that question is we're going to seek God. We're going to honor God. We're going to get our instructions, our directions, his vision and plan for us. And we're going to move forward watching him do far more abundantly beyond all that we could ask or think. Don't limit God by what you think he could do in the next five years. Come to God with an open plate, with an open piece of paper, with an open table and say, God, we're gonna be obedient. We're gonna seek you. We're gonna honor you. You lay it all out. You direct us for it. What happens when we trust God, when we seek him is that God always does more than we could ask, think, or imagine. So think on the work of God. What is he up to? Where do you see him at work? But ask great things of him. The third thing I want you to see this morning is the principle of the Lord. Call it the principle of the Lord. I imagine that most of us here today would say emphatically, Yes, Pastor, I want the Lord to work through my life. Truth be told, I've never known anyone, saved or unsaved, that would say, Yes, I want to just waste my life and not really matter. I've never known anybody that would say that. But I would say of every Christian I've ever known, we would say something like this I really want my life to matter for eternity. When I sit with people and talk with people who are in their final days of life, they're not asking me about the weather. They're not talking sports. They're talking about eternity. And they want to know that they're ready to meet God and that their days on earth mattered for more than just the here and now. We want to know that our life mattered. We want to know as Christians that God worked through us, like that God did an incredible work through us, that God ministered through us to minister to someone. He helped someone through us. Our life mattered while we lived here. But can I say something about that? I believe what God is wanting us to see in this moment is something loud and clear. Yes, God wants to work through us. There's no doubt about it. God has called us to take the gospel throughout the Shenandoah Valley, throughout the state of Virginia, throughout the country, to the ends of the earth. Yes, God has something he wants to do through us. Yes, the apostle Peter in Acts chapter 10 last week, God had a message to take to Cornelius and the Gentiles through Peter. But first, there was something that God was wanting to do in Peter. There was something that God was wanting to teach Peter. Yes, we're called to go, but there's something first we need to understand, and we see it in verse 19 He says, I'm sorry, verse 20, to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, listen to this statement, according to the power that works where? Within us. In other words, please understand this morning, I'm calling it the principle of the Lord. While God has the power to do anything, his work is accomplished through us is usually directly related to his work within us. In other words, God is more interested in the work that he is doing in our lives than the work that he is doing through our lives because if he shapes us into the person that he's called us to be, the work will be what it ought to be. God, I'm going to do this for you. God, I'm going to go here for you. Oh, God, look at all the different ways I've served you and the ways that I've given and the ways that I've ministered. God is wanting us to see that his working through us is usually directly related to his working first in us. Let me illustrate that for a moment. As Christians, we often pray, oh God, we need revival. God, would you bring revival to this country? God, would you shake up Washington, D.C., and would you pour out your spirit in a great way? God, would you do a great work in this country where people are drawn to you all over this country, all over this land? God, would you move? God, would you move in Nicaragua? God, would you move in the Ukraine? God, would you move in all these different things? Please understand me. we should pray for God to work in these ways. But you know where we need to first pray? We first need to pray. God, would you work within me? God, I I know I'm broken. I know that I have failed you at times. God, I know that I've been sinful. God, I know that I need your deliverance. And God, I know that I need a fresh move of you in my life. God, I know that I've been callous to your leading at times in my life. God, I know that I've been cold and hard-hearted. I haven't walked by faith. I haven't obeyed you. God, right now, I draw a circle around me right now. God, right now, would you do a work within me? You know what happens when we begin to pray that way? God works within us. But as he works within us, he begins to send us out so that God could work through us. See, the point is, as we begin to pray, God, would you work within me? Give me a heart for the things that break your heart. God, give me a heart for the things that you're passionate about. God, give me a heart for people. God, would you let me see things like you see them? God, would you work within me? What happens is God begins to bring a revival within me, and then that revival begins to affect my marriage, and it begins to affect my home, and then it begins to affect my community, and it begins to affect my church, and God's work begins to sweep across the place. Where did it begin? It began within before it goes without. This principle is very clear, and that principle is God is saying, I want to work within you so that I can work through you. That's what the apostle said in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 16. He prayed that they would be strengthened with power through his Holy Spirit. Where? In the inner man. Many of us would say, oh, God, I want to see you move. God, I want to see you move to do far beyond that I could ask or think or imagine. But remember, we need to be praying first that God would move within us. So many of us as Christians, we the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, it is within us in the person of the Holy Spirit. But so many of us are putting it off and pursuing our own thing and distracted by our own pursuits. We're totally missing out. Kind of humorous illustration, I'm reminded several years ago, many years ago in fact, in Pasadena, California, they were getting ready for the annual Rose Bowl parade. Anybody ever watch the Rose Bowl? It's usually a January 1st football game. God bless that. Every year for the Rose Bowl game, they have a Rose Bowl parade, and they have normal parade. It floats and bands and everything. The whole works, and there was a float. In fact, there was a large truck that was pulling a massive trailer, uh, one of the largest I'd ever seen, and the parade began. They were about 30 minutes into the parade when the entire parade came to a halt. Came to a halt because the largest float right in the middle of everything stopped, and everybody assumed that the truck had broken down. What they later decided... Guess who owned and support and had run out of gas? Guess who owned and support and ran that float? The Standard Oil Company. (laughs) Now, I'm not a rocket scientist here, but if anybody who had access to fuel, if anybody had the support they needed, it was them, and yet they literally ran out of fuel. Why? Too distracted to take time to fill up. Too many things going on. Too many bigger deals to be done. Too many things going on. And so they literally missed out. Many of us as Christians, we're doing the same thing. We're going through our life. We're distracted. We're pursuing all these other things. But the reality is we need to be strengthened by the Holy Spirit in the inner man. That's why Paul would say in Ephesians 5 verse 18, we're to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God. So, Pastor, what are you saying? I'm simply calling us to remember this principle of God that he wants to work in us so that he can work through us. Please understand this morning as we consider that principle of God working within us, don't ever think that you are useless. Don't ever think that you are of minimal use to God. Don't ever think that you can't change or have victory in your life. Don't ever think that your past will always haunt you and you can never be used of God today. Don't ever think that the extraordinary moves of God are only available through the qualified, through the educated, through the elite, through the pastors, through the deacons or whatever else. No, please understand, anyone who is willing to trust God And live by faith. Anyone who's willing to live their life, surrender to God to say, God, here I am. Would you work in me? And God, would you work through me for your glory? Anyone can be used by God. Powerful principle of the Lord. Fourth thing I want you to see then, and we'll close, is the praise of the Lord. The praise of the Lord. When God is doing a great work in us and through us, what is the result? Simple result is that God will move in many different ways, but the end result will be always that God is glorified. When you live your life in such a way that you are dreaming great things for God and asking great things of God, God will work in a way that brings him glory and praise. Philippians chapter 2, verse 13 says it this way, For it is God who is a work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Think about this for just a moment. When you think from the very beginning, we understand that God has revealed his glory in some very specific ways. God revealed his glory first in creation. The Bible tells us that even the heavens declare the glory of God. Then throughout the Old Testament, God gave very specific instructions for the building of a temple, a place where man could come to worship God, where the high priest could enter the Holy of Holies and be there in the presence of God. And God revealed his glory there in the temple But that was temporary. Later, God would send his son, Jesus, who would come to this earth. He would live a sinless life and he would die on the cross for the sins of the world, raise again on the third day. But the Bible tells us that God revealed his glory through his son, Jesus Christ. In fact, John chapter one says literally that the glory of God, all of it, dwell completely in the person of Jesus Christ. But did you know there's a fourth way today that God is revealing his glory? We see it. In verse 21, what does he say? To him be the glory, where? In the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. In other words, God today is still revealing his glory, and he does so in the context of the church. Some might say, well, which denomination? That's not what he's talking about. Well, what, the church in which city? That's not what he's talking about. You know who the church is. The church is every single person, male, female, doesn't matter your race, doesn't matter. It is every single person who has believed in the Lord Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior every single person who has come to that place where they believed in their heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, they confess with their mouth, Jesus is the Lord. Every single person who's believed in Jesus, they literally are the called out ones. They've been called out of darkness into light. They've been called out of death. They've been called into life. Every single person who's a part of the Lord Jesus Christ, God says, listen, I want you to know I'm still revealing my glory in a primary place. And that place is in the context of the church. That's why even as we come together in this local church, it's just a picture of the bigger church, but as we come together, God works in us to encourage us and to strengthen us. He works in us to give us a new truth to to God and to keep working and to keep moving. God works in us in such a way that souls are saved and lives are changed and we're persevering in our faith. When God works in us, God reveals his glory. God works in us, though, ultimately to work through us. It is the praise of the Lord. This morning as we close this message, I want to remind us that God is able. You may be here today frankly dealing with private struggles, private sins, private issues, and you may have came here today with much apprehension because you came here feeling unworthy. That nobody could love you. That if people in the building knew what was going on in your life, they wouldn't care. I wouldn't want anything to do with you. I want you to know this morning. I don't know your background. I don't know where you're coming from, but I do know this. I do know that God loves you, and he's made a way for you to know forgiveness of sin and freedom over your sin, and that is found through Jesus Christ. God is able. He's able to set you free. The disciples even questioned that in Matthew chapter 19 as Jesus began to talk about salvation And they looked at a guy who was a young, rich ruler. He had everything that money could offer. He was a man of great reputation. He was a man who was very religious. He'd kept a lot of commandments. And Jesus made it very, very clear that he was not saved, didn't have a relationship with God. And the disciples stood by confused. Jesus, if this man can't be saved, who can be? If this man can't be forgiven and set free, like, who can be? This guy has everything. And Jesus looked at them that day and he said, with man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. You may have all these uncertainties and fears and failures, whatever else, but God wants you to know he's able to forgive you, to save you, and set you free. You may be here today, and you might be a believer who knows Christ your Lord and Savior, and you might be struggling. Can I say to you, just very bluntly and honestly, last week when we were here together, dealing with a burden in my own life, related to my family in Alabama, It was heavy. But can I tell you, no matter what the circumstance is, God is able. No matter what the pain, no matter the shame, God is able. What can I say to us as a church and to each of us as individual believers? God may be calling you to do something uncomfortable. His callings usually are because we can't do them on our own. Be the demand great faith. But as you walk by faith and not by sight, guess what we learn anew and afresh? We learn that God is able. Can you bow your heads with me just in spirit of prayer? Father, we love you and we thank you for your love for us. I thank you for this time together and I pray that you will be glorified in our responsive obedience right now. Father, I pray that we would not look at this message today as simply a bit of information that we've heard, but that we would believe it as true because it is your word. And God, I pray that we would respond by faith and obedience, that you'd be glorified in us and through us. Father, uh, I'm an imperfect messenger, but your message is always true. And so God, I pray that God, that the things that you have wanted to be heard would be received, not just in one ear and out the other, but truly in our hearts, and that we would respond by faith. I pray in Jesus' name.